Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Again, let me just take a second, and as you're returning to your places, just thank you for coming to First Baptist Church, whether you come here every week or whether this is fairly new to you or you're out of town. Man, we're so glad you're here, seriously. This is a big deal. This, is, this week is a big week, and I really do want to just reiterate what Troy said and just welcoming each and every one of you that come, and I, I even mean that for the home folks. I'm so thankful for the First Baptist Church family, and uh, let's, let's make sure that we you know, show the love and hospitality to our guests that are here. Um, I always get good feedback. You don't always get it, but I try and let you know. We get good feedback from our guests that, that you're a loving and a, and a kind church, and I know that, but it's good that they, they see that too. So we're very, very thankful for that. I do want to give you one quick prayer request before we get going. Troy quickly went over the lineup of the guys who are preaching each night, and he mentioned to you that on Wednesday night we're going to have uh, Brett Bartlett here, and I'm very thankful for that, but Brett was a last-minute stand-in because we had lined up Pastor Jay Shug from Community Fellowship Baptist Church down in Huntsville, Alabama, but Jay was recently um, diagnosed positive with COVID, and so he and his wife are, and his family, they're quarantining, and he, he contacted me, what was it, Troy, like last Wednesday or something, and said, I can't make it, and uh, so Brett's stepping in for him, but I do want us to just be praying for Pastor Jay and his family. Uh, that they recover quickly. He actually said that he has very minimal symptoms. His family doesn't actually have any symptoms, so we're thankful for that. So we'll just keep them in our, in our prayers as well. Um, but welcome again. We're so thankful that you all are here. And this year's Certainty Conference is actually going to be just a little bit different than the, than the regular fair. If you've been here with us in years past, you know that every year what we do in this conference is a Bible conference. And we pick a subject, we pick a, a doctrine, and we study it in depth, and we go into great detail in the morning sessions as well, in the evening sessions, and, and we pick a subject. And, and after last year, we picked a subject for this year. And uh, when March of 2020 hit, um, I began to just really prayerfully reassess whether or not just going forward with the next doctrinal subject on the, on the ticket um, wouldn't look a little bit like... Nero fiddling while Rome burned, and uh, I, I, you know, didn't, I, I feel like it's super important for us to be able to address some of the details of the things that we should be reminded of. Now, all of us in this church, and certainly probably all of the churches that are represented here, when March and April and May hit, you probably all did a fantastic job just reminding your people to be of faith and not fear and and trust the Lord and all those sort of things, and that's super important, but um, I just felt like this was an important deal, and, and that's why the pastors only in the mornings is just because we want to strategize together and share with one another how we can best help our churches uh, navigate what is a troublous time. Uh, it certainly is an uncertain time, right? And so, um, as our world seems to continue to get out of control, and I don't know about you, but at least for me, I feel like you got to be pretty skeptical believing anybody's 
news report. That's me. Um, I'm, as they say, I'm so skeptical, I'm skeptical of skepticism. Um, I don't trust pretty much anybody talking about whatever they're talking about. And you, you got you to gotta make decisions based on, okay, so who can you trust? Well, I, I know who you can trust. It's the Word of God. And so that, that's what we want to do this week. We want to take some time, and it's, it's actually going to be a huge, I know it is. I know it's going to be a blessing. I believe the Lord has great things planned for us. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that all of our lives have been permanently changed this year. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that things will never go back to what you used to understand them to be completely. And I would also observe that the change that has occurred this year has actually been so swift that you probably never would, it, would have thought it possible for this many changes to have occurred this rapidly in one year. But that's the world we're living in. And the whole thing has been set in place. And, and I've heard preachers say this in the past, and it was always like a cool preacher line, but maybe I didn't always really believe it until 2020. And, th and that would be something like this. This world is set up so that all you need to do is bring in the man of sin and bring in the mark of the beast, and it's over. And, and we've said that for years, but, I mean, life just kind of continued on the way it was and, until now. And things are changing very, very rapidly, and everything that we thought we understood seems to be turned on its head, which I think just shows how little we often really understand about what's really going on in the life of our day and behind the scenes. So, so what we need to do is we need to find some certainty in the midst of uncertainty, right? And so where are you going to go to do that? Well, you're going to go to the Bible to do that. And this is a Bible conference, and so that is our theme for the conference. It is the title for my message today, Finding Certainty and Uncertainty. And uh, certainty certainly only comes from God's Word, and that is our theme verse year after year for this conference, Proverbs 22, 20, and 21, which says, Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee? So, when God says something, it is certain. You can take it to the bank. And so how to respond to confusing times has to be guided by God's word. Amen. So all week long, we're going we're gonna to do that and, and come back tonight and the other evenings through Wednesday. And what we're going to do is these brothers are in the lineup are just going to take time and they're going to help us to understand how specifically and exactly we can do that by applying biblical truth to our specific situation. And most specifically, they're going to be breaking down the story of Israel in bondage to Egypt and Exodus, starting in verse number, or chapter number 12 and going through like chapter number 15, that Exodus out of bondage from Egypt as they're on their way to the Red Sea and Pharaoh is in hot pursuit after them. And they find themselves at one point being trapped between the devil and the sea. And it seems like there's nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, and what are they supposed to do? This is going to be the theme of the evenings. Not this morning, this evening, starting tonight. And so you're going to want to come back for those. And, uh, but what I want to do this morning to kind of set up this entire uh, narrative is to 
just get us started by looking at the spiritual force that's behind all of the craziness that's going on in our uncertain world, right? And so we're going to look today in our brief text in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have our Bibles, you can open them and look there with me. Starting in verse number 8, we're going to go down to verse number 11. Follow along as I read. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we just ask that you would take this particular portion of Scripture, that you would teach us what we need to understand, that you would help us to have the insight that we need to have so that we can better get our bearings on where we're at and what's going on. And then as we continue, not just through this morning's message, but into this evening and the other evenings to come, you can continue to instruct us how specifically you would have us to respond. Lord, none of the things going on today not only didn't take you by surprise, you full well are using them for some purpose. And I pray, Lord Jesus, it would help each and every one of us to make the wise choices according to your word, finding certain things in the midst of an otherwise uncertain time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to start with some uncertainty that I think we're all aware of, and I'm just going to call it the uncertain present. The present time in which we live is very uncertain. And, and we're going to start by this issue in verse number 8 where it says it, it introduces to us our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever actually been in a situation where this could be true, but if you were ever out in the wilderness and you actually heard a lion roaring, and I, I'm not meaning at a zoo, like no fences and no walls, my guess is you'd be thinking that things are uncertain. <laughs> things are uncertain. All over the world in 2020, our present Situation is certainly uncertain from a human standpoint. Why? Because I think we've entered into the time of the end. We've entered into the time where we're seeing the fast approaching end of the church age and the rapture is right around the corner. And well, if you understand the Bible, then you understand that that means that the devil's ramping up his activity so that he can get done what he needs to get done while he still has time. Now, as we get into this, I do want to just take a second for you Bible students and remind you of the context of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a very interesting book because 1 Peter certainly is written with a church-age context, but Peter is the apostle to the Jews. And Peter writes this letter to a Jewish audience. Peter's epistles are a part of what we call the general epistles, the ones that come after Hebrews. And what is going on is that is that means that they're pointing towards a ministry of this transition from the church age to lend itself back towards the focus on Israel and the Jews as they're about to enter into the time of tribulation. And we know that from certain statements in the book of 1 Peter, which are just a very hard fit for the church age. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says this, "...receiving the end of your faith..." even the salvation of your souls. 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Peter's actually writing to believers. So what is that grace that should still come to them? Well, he goes on in verse 13 and he clarifies, because it's a Jewish audience, and the context rolls into the tribulation. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not a church age application. That's an application of the Jew who has to endure until the end of the tribulation until they gets the national salvation of Israel at the literal second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So understanding those things means that what we're going to see in context in 1 Peter, well, it's the exact context of the exact time in which we're living right now. And so with that, what I want us to see is that our circumstances are uncertain singularly because the devil is active, maybe more so than ever before. So first, let's look at letter A in your outline, the devil's person. It describes him as a roaring lion. Now, everybody knows, the kiddies all know, right? The lion is the king of the jungle. And according to Proverbs 30 and verse 30, he's the strongest among beasts. He's not afraid of anybody. And it says that he's a roaring lion. He's as a roaring lion, which means he's making a lot of noise. And Again, if you were out in the wilderness and if you heard a lion roaring, it would be frightening. That, that means that, well, he's on the hunt. That means he's coming after you. So, by the way, that uncertainty that you might have been feeling throughout the last six months or so is Maybe not only because he's referred to as a lion, he's referred to as a lot of different things in Scripture. Let me remind you of a few of them. In John 8, 44, he's called a liar. He's a murderer, right? In Revelation 12, 9 and 10, he's a deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. So a roaring lion evokes fear, and rightly so. And so... I don't know about you, but I think for many, many people in the world, friends of ours, maybe ourselves, all the noise that has been going on for the last six or seven months, well, it's, it's been kind of frightening to a lot of people. And so when you look at things like COVID and it's a pandemic and everyone is susceptible you may have it even if you don't have any symptoms. I'm not trying to mock. I'm trying to state what we've all been through. We all at some point for some period of time went through some level of quarantine. Even if you're healthy, you have to quarantine. You have to stay at home. You have to stay isolated from everybody else. You have to be all alone with nothing to do except worry as much as possible. There's an economic crash. Many people lost their jobs. Many people are losing their retirement investments, businesses, many of which will never recover. Now that school has started back up after the kids survived the end of last year's school, that what's their education going to look like? What's that 
What's that future looking like? Are they going back in person or live? It depends on where you live and what state and what county, but kids are back in school. They're not in school. They're online. Are they not online? Can they learn anything? Can kindergartners learn anything online? I, these, are, these are issues. The elderly are alone in nursing homes. You can't go visit them. And many of which, sadly, are literally dying of loneliness. Only existing, wishing they could visit with their family that could visit them. Well, not even talking about riots that are going on all over our country in the cities, in the streets. Will they come here next? What will we do? What happens if they come here and we don't have police to protect us? I mean, let's not even get started with politics. Socialism, Marxism, democracy, communism. Are these two candidates really the best we can find? Oh, listen, we, gotta, we have to be aware of the fact that I mean, the whole world is setting itself up for the vaccine. The vaccine's coming. The vaccine that's coming, is that really genuinely going to keep us healthy? Or is it actually going to hurt us? What about all that talk about depopulization by the guy who's making the vaccine? There's a lion in the streets. He's roaring. You hear him? It's kind of frightening, isn't it? That's a lot of uncertainty. Well, that's the devil. He's making noise. He's trying to steal your peace. He's trying to instill fear. That's what he does. That's who he is. So let's look at his purpose, letter B. It says, seeking whom he may devour. So, I mean, you read the Bible. You know the story. Basically, I mean, the, the devil's, I mean, he's ticked at God. Can't really do much about it directly. So what can he do? Well, what he can do is he can go after what God loves the most, and that's you and me. He can't do anything to the Lord directly, so he's targeting us, God's children, so that he can get at God indirectly. He wants to destroy your life. And that's John 10.10, right? Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So like the story of Job, for example, he destroyed all that he had and he took away his family and he destroyed his health. And and then ultimately, what did he do? After he took all that away from Job, he sent what Job calls miserable counselors. You might call it fake news. <laughs> Trying to discourage Job in his weakness. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he wants to blind your mind. 2 Timothy 2.26, he wants to take you captive. He wants to distract people so that they won't get saved. Or he wants to distract, save people so they won't evangelize. Keep us from doing our job. He wants you to lose your faith so that you, like Job's wife, might just say, what is the point? Curse God and die. And as a result, make shipwreck, shipwreck of your faith, like it says in 1 Timothy 1. And listen, friends, don't kid yourself. This is no joke. If God would allow it, he would kill you. Now, I say if God would allow it because, for example, in the story of Job, God allowed what he allowed, but he didn't allow Satan to kill Job. 
And it says in our text right here, seeking whom he may devour. He may not, depending on what the Lord might allow. It does say in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, For much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You see, the devil actually has the power of death. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost, it doesn't matter. You see, if he could kill you as a Christian, well, that's one less servant of Jesus Christ on the earth that he has to worry about, spreading the good news to other people. And if you're an unsaved person and he's able to take your life now, well, that's just all the quicker you go straight to hell without hanging around any longer with the chance of maybe hearing the gospel to get saved. So if you're here today and you're not sure that you've been saved, I would say don't wait. <laughs> Today's as good a day as any. Hence all this talk about depopulization by people a generation ago who initiated that evil organization Planned Parenthood and are the people who want to inject something in you to kill people. They won't say it that way. I just did. <laughs> it's the devil exercising the power of death. Okay, that's all. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course that's not all. That's the world we're living in. These are the in uncertain present. Man, that's, that's the way the devil wants to leave you. That's what he's been doing, stirring the pot, Right? So what are we supposed to do? Okay, number two. We need to have a certain plan. We need to have a certain plan. Now, thankfully, God gives us his word on what we are to do. His plan for us is certain. There's no question about it. And letter A that breaks into a couple of different points. So letter A is to examine. To examine. And that starts out with verse 8 saying, Be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail on every word that we're going to look at here today. I actually believe that most of you are already aware of the general message here, and you're already aware of the meanings of the words. But basically, to be sober and to be vigilant is just to be alert, right? We think of sober as the opposite of drunkenness, and there's something to that that's accurate. But also, the idea is just to be clear-minded. It goes frequently with watching or to be vigilant because you have to be clear-minded to be able to keep your eyes open for the horizon and be on the lookout. Just as you would be if you were walking through the woods and you heard a lion roaring. Where'd that come from? I think that's kind of exactly what the Lord expects for us today. Watch, right? Keep your eyes open. Learn to see spiritual things. This is what Cale preached last week, 2 Corinthians 4.18. Seeing the things that are not seen. Seeing eternal things, right? You need to understand the big picture of what's going on in the world and that it's so much bigger than just politics or social unrest. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. That's Ephesians 6.12. That's what we wrestle against, spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Now, it says that the devil is as a lion. And, and as much as we make it like the storybook thing, the king of the jungle, there's something to that. The most powerful feared beast in the animal kingdom. If we say he's the king of the jungle, in other words, we could say that he's kind of in charge of his area. And isn't it interesting that as we get the Bible narrative, we, we see that the world has actually devolved from starting out as a garden. And a garden left alone to go wild becomes a jungle. And the devil's as a lion, the king of the jungle, because he's in charge of it, at least temporarily. He's in charge of it. And you have to get that. You have to not cast that aside. Don't over-spiritualize the fact that because Christ is the ultimate authority overall, and he is, that the devil has not been given a reign for a time to operate, and he always has and always will continue to be until the Lord returns, the spiritual force behind governments. You need to understand that. You go all the way back to the beginning. In reference to the working of Lucifer, back in Ezekiel 28, he's called the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God in verse 14. It says that he was in Eden, the garden of God, that sealed up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. But if you go up a couple of verses to verse number 12, what you find is that text is actually addressed to the king of Tyrus. The king of Tyrus. In Isaiah 14, that passage that gives us the name Lucifer, well, in the King James Bible it does anyway, that reveals Lucifer's downfall, it initially addressed that section of Scripture in verse number 4 to the king of Babylon. But the context makes it clear. He's not talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking to Satan. In verse 12 of Isaiah 14, he's the one that weakens the nations. He controls all the physical kingdoms of this world. Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil brought him up to a high place apart. Showed him all the kingdoms of this world. Isn't it interesting that word starts with king? All these belong to me. I'll give them to you, Jesus. Just fall down and worship me. He's been given the control of the physical kingdoms of this world for now. That's where we're at. He works behind the scenes. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is the God, small g, of this world. That's who he is. In Daniel chapter 10, an angel comes to bring Daniel an answer to his prayers, and he reveals that he was hindered in the second heaven for 21 days by whom? By the prince of the kingdom of Persia. The prince of the kingdom of Persia hindered Michael the archangel from coming down to deliver a message to Daniel in the second heaven? Yeah, these are principalities and powers. And Michael, by the way, is referred to as one of the chief princes. So there's something about this prince and angel spirit of Persia. So realize that all the physical human governments have satanic influence, all of them. Both your favorite and least favorite candidate. Understand that, Christian. That's, by the way, a certainty. 
That's a certainty. So what are we supposed to do? Well, let her be. You're to endure. You examine, and then you're going to endure. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Now, you know what resist doesn't mean in its biblical context and word usage? It doesn't mean protest. That's not what it means. Resist means to stand against. That's what it means. It means hang in there. It means don't quit yet. Don't give up. Don't be like Job's wife, right? Uh, it also means don't think you're getting out of it. Just resist the tendency to fear. Just resist fighting back in the flesh. Just resist the urge to flight and run away. Just stand. That's what spiritual warfare actually is in Ephesians 6. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to fight back. No, to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's wily. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And you need to be able to stand against it. We read verse 12 about the principalities and powers. Let's go into verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word withstand is literally the exact same word that is translated resist in 1 Peter 5. Withstand in the evil day, which I don't know if you've been paying attention. It's an evil day. <laughs> and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. I mean, he's trying to get his point across. That's resist. Resist steadfast in the faith. He's going to come at you. Hold your ground. That's all he's saying. Don't retreat. So Ephesians 4.27 refers to it this way. Neither give place to the devil. Don't back up and give him space. Don't give him room to work. I've often used this illustration before if you've heard it from me forgive me but the devil has space he has place to work in your life only when your life is not in line with the word of God in other words the space between the word of God and your life whether it be small or great is the space that is the place you give to the devil if you could so align your life directly with the Word of God, you don't give Him place to operate. And you do that in the faith. Resist steadfast in the faith, which biblically is the opposite of fear. But you also need to realize that the devil can't do anything unless the Lord allows it. We know this. We understand the story of Job. We understand the sovereignty of God. We understand his ultimate sovereign greatness. We understand his control over the universe. Okay, well, let's make that application to the life that we live now. So in your notes, I put it this way. On a global level, God has a plan for the nations. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? 
God has a plan for the nations, the geopolitical nations of this world. And the Bible's very clear. God judges nations, just like he does individuals. But he judges nations based on the official decisions made by their leaders. It doesn't matter if that nation has really nice believing people in it. All nations have some really nice believing people in them. But if the government of that nation is making evil, godless decisions, God will judge that nation. Psalm chapter 9, start in verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higeon, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten like they seem to be now. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever as it seems to now. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. To be but men. Who do you really think you are, sir, ma'am, running your country straight to hell like a bullet? Well, this is a global phenomenon. But, I mean, let's just keep it real. Let's just, I mean, we live in this country. Let's just talk about our country. We don't have to think too hard to think about some very bad decisions in our nation's brief history of things that we have done to forget God. So when our nation says that we're all about the separation of church and state, but they apply it backwards, they're forgetting God. When they officially make some legislation to remove the Bible and prayer from public schools, when they remove the Ten Commandments from schools and from courthouses, when the only theory of the beginning of life can be the theory of evolution taught in schools, they've willfully chosen to forget God. And kid not yourself, God is watching. Abortion legalized, sponsored by the government, same-sex marriage is legalized, inclusion of sexual gender preference in the Civil Rights Act as of recent. All in the name of social progress. We've slowly and systematically removed God from our national life. Officially, he's not only not revered anymore by so many who hold positions of power, he's despised for his politically incorrect hate speech. Careful. Really? Politically incorrect. So we're going to judge God because he doesn't live up to the standard of our political correctness. There's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. Our Judeo-Christian belief and worldview are barely tolerated. And God's watching. Psalm 96.5 says, all the gods of the nations are idols. And you know what? For our country, I think a lot of you know this already, but I have to remind you, in Mark 3, 24 and 25, Jesus said, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So at least the last three presidents worth puts this country on pretty shaky ground, wouldn't you say? Pretty well split right down the middle, aren't we? The certainty of the words of truth say, you set up a nation like that, it ain't lasting very long. That's just not. So what are we supposed to do? Oh, I know. I know where we should go. We should go to 2 Chronicles 7.14. That's where we should go. Don't you love 2 Chronicles 7.14? Listen, Christians love to quote 2 Chronicles 7.14. Especially in election year. Especially in election year. But it's cool. I mean, it's a cool verse. I mean, let's look at it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Praise the Lord, it's fantastic. Okay, I don't need to spend a lot of time with you guys. You're Bible literate. You know that the direct context is the nation of Israel. They are my people in the Old Testament. You understand that? And I understand that Christian people want to make a spiritual, practical application to their own lives because we are now the people of God. I get that. That's totally fine. And, and to encourage us today to be humble, I'm all for that. Let's do that. And let's pray Absolutely, we should do that. In fact, you have places like 1 Timothy 2, specifically telling the church to pray for those who are in governmental authority over you so that we can live our lives and in peace and quiet and serve the Lord. So yeah, do that. And man, seek God right on and repent for sure. Obviously, that, listen, those are fantastic. Listen, don't get me wrong. Those are fantastic spiritual truths to apply. But please, y'all, I mean, please, seriously, you can't seriously think that that means that that's going to heal the United States of America. Come on. Because in case you weren't paying attention, the United States of America is not our land. Christians don't have land. We are strangers and pilgrims. We are new creatures. We are sons of God. And we are traversing this planet as a visitor. We don't have a land. The Jews have a land. Oh, and, and don't forget that, by the way, doing those things to humble ourselves and to pray and to seek God and to turn from our wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive them. You don't need that to be forgiven. God forgives you when you just ask him to come to your heart and your life. He forgives you. What in the world are we supposed to do? On a societal level, on a global national level, what are we supposed to do? Well, you're going to love this. You'll be so glad you came today. <laughs> you really can't do much except buckle up and brace for impact. I mean, you might as well just rest in it. I, I probably spent the first six weeks or more of this weird time of 2020 when everything shut down. Maybe, I don't know how long, too long, trying to figure out what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And if the devil does this, maybe we'll do that. And, and, and I finally just realized, you're not outsmarting him. The system's rigged. Oh, at the end we win. A little bumpy road between here and there. But listen, 
The system's rigged because God has a plan and God is, by the way, it's righteous, obviously, judging the nations. He said he would. Nobody likes to be around when it happens. And frankly, Christian, I think it's fair to say that that plan, that doesn't doesn't have anything to do with you. It doesn't have anything to do with me. We just happen to be here. We just happen to be living at the end of a dispensation during the time of a transition. We get to be alive to rescue the last souls out before the napalm comes. Okay, let's transition a little bit here. Let's go to a personal level. This last, it looks like, I know you think you got a lot of notes left. It won't take long. On a personal level, God has a plan for you. And here's God's plan for you. Verse 10, after that you've suffered a while. So you're going to have to just stick it out. Because standing for truth in these last days is going to cost you something. And in these final moments of the church age, as the devil's setting up the world for the man of sin, the church may very well have to suffer more severe persecution. And as the powers that be that are ordained of God in Romans 13 exercise their power to stop you or at least slow you down from serving the Lord, and as you resist and as you take your stand, well, you're likely to find more opposition than you ever had in the past. And we are the church of the Laodiceans. There's no getting around it. And Laodicea has become too soft. Laodicea has always enjoyed being increased with goods and in need of nothing. And we expect to be able to continue to be increased with goods and have need of nothing. But let me just ask you a question. What if, what? I mean, my mind sometimes goes to dark places. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry I'm taking the microphone and sharing them with you. (laughs) What if God decided that the spiritual testimony of Laodicea, poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked, he just decided, you know what, I'm going to make you guys live like that for a little bit. I mean, I hope not. But if it gets bad, you're ready to remain faithful anyway? Well, if you do, this is our third point, and truly it won't take long. There's a certain payoff. There's a certain payoff, praise the Lord. And and listen, y'all, the game's almost over. Can I tell you, you're going to make it. You can make it, and God will take care of you. But you have to get God's perspective on suffering. You have to have his perspective on it because even suffering has a certain payoff. And the first one, and maybe the most important one for us today, is what I'm calling temporal strengthening. And again, I'm not breaking down all of these words. I'm just going to kind of lump them all together for the purpose of this morning where it says that after you've suffered a while, he will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So, my friend Maksud will remind us that muscles grow with resistance training. I've heard that. I know the opposite's true. 
I know that without the resistance training, you get weaker. They atrophy. They shrink. Well, that's a spiritual principle. I mean, even Jesus Christ, according to the flesh, had to suffer. Hebrews 2.10, for it became him, Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Oh, he wasn't perfect? No, we're talking about his humanity, and we're talking about complete growth and maturity, strengthening. Hebrews 5.8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So hey, MTT students and LFBI students, you know what? You can't really learn anything unless you've been tested. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Don't be afraid of the test. Man, the test makes you better. And you can't learn to be obedient to God unless there's some resistance to you being obedient to God. And that's the whole point. When he does that, there's a payoff for you. It's spiritual maturity, right? And while so many of us would have known that this is true in principle and in theory, I mean, it stinks that you have to actually do it. Like, it's way better to have it only in theory. But the times are upon us. And, they, and you've always known they'd be upon somebody. They're upon us. Let me just tell you, in this world of buckle up and brace for impact, I mean, we don't know what's around the corner. That's a certainty. And there very likely could be new legislation coming that makes it harder and harder, directly targeting the free exercise of Christians and churches. Because at the end of the day, I don't know about your perspective, but my perspective is crystal clear. Everything the devil is doing is primarily and solely about attacking us. The governments and all that stuff are just ways, they're, they're a means to an end. The end is go after God's kids. Shut them down. And if you stand with us, you'll be strengthened. That'll happen. If you're weak, well, you'll cave. So the inconvenient truth is that you're never really going to mature fully in Christ until you successfully endure suffering. That's why Paul can say in Romans 5 and verse 3 that not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. Well, that hope is the certainty of your eternal future. And that's our last point, eternal security who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Well, that's the rapture of the church. That's next. That's a guarantee. That's coming. That's certain, right? So you go one chapter earlier in 1 Peter, back to chapter 4, and he writes this in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Why? That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. See, your future is secure by virtue of the fact that you got saved, but you're going to enjoy it a whole lot more if you've endured to the end. There's a certain payoff. 
and the trials of this life soon enough, they're going to be over. And in Laodicea, just like in every church period, God's looking for those people that qualify as overcomers. How can we overcome the devil? Well, I say we borrow a page and make an application from the tribulation saints. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him three ways, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. You can't win anything if you don't overcome him first and foremost by getting saved by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, by getting busy by the word of your testimony. And thirdly, by being determined to not quit, even if it means it takes you to your earlier than otherwise normal death. Love not their lives unto the death. And church history is full of people who have done just that. So Paul can say in Romans 8.18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you stand firm to the end, learning and applying the things you're going to be learning each of these evenings, then it can be said of you like it says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 11, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, when you live the life you're supposed to live, that's not the thing that gains you an entrance into the kingdom. Your salvation, Christ in you, is the hope of glory. But man, your entrance becomes abundant when you do what you're supposed to do. It's the ticker tape parade for the faithful. Verse 11, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. System is rigged, y'all. It is fixed. You can't change it. You can't outthink it. You can't outmaneuver it. But we're on the right side. And that's all that really matters. And yeah, there may be some trouble between here and there, but it's brief. So I invite you, man, make your plans. Clear your schedule. Come back tonight. Tony Godfrey's going to set us up from Exodus chapter 12, and from there on, walking through those chapters, these other brothers, and we are going to learn to apply things for our life as we leave the bondage of the devil, Pharaoh, a picture of the devil called a dragon in the Scriptures, and find victory and certainty in the midst of these uncertain times that we live in. Let's pray together. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.